0: all right what's going on everyone welcome back to another episode of the deer gear podcast i'm your host cameron durr today's episode is with dorge and dave murray we had some more things to go over when talking about veins i wanted to ask them a little bit more about what helical does for veins what offsetting your fletching does for veins we dive into those two topics pretty in depth Uh, we also talk a little bit about wraps are wraps good for your arrow or do they just look good So this conversation has a lot of technical information on veins and arrow wraps. So if you're interested in that, please stay tuned. Before we get into the episode, one really quick announcement. For the first time ever, Exodus is accepting a trade-up program or an upgrade program for working or non-working trail cameras. So no matter the brand, working or not, you can trade in that camera an upgrade to an Exodus render for 75% off. So all you have to do is go to the website, exodusoutdoorgear.com, add an Exodus render to your cart, and in checkout, use the code UPGRADE. That's going to save you $75. When we get that order in, we will email you an RMA label, a shipping prepaid shipping label to send your trade-in camera to us once we receive that camera we will then ship out your exodus render so if that interests you make sure you head over to the website that's good for the whole month of april we're very excited about this Um, if you have any more questions please ask me personally but with that being said let's get into today's podcast Right, guys welcome back to another episode of the deer gear podcast and i'm joined again by dorge from fire Knock and dave murray from vital limits pleased to have you guys with me here today how are you guys doing
1: i'm doing fine how are you
0: oh great weather's great uh weather's doing pretty awesome how about you dave i'm uh, hanging in there
1: just uh got
2: out of the bow shop and um Trying to get a couple of things done and make it on here. Hang out with you guys.
0: <laughs> perfect, yeah, <laughs> perfect. So uh, arrows are, are fresh in the top of your mind today. Just getting out of the bow shop, huh?
2: Actually, an arrow oh, rest yeah. is. I was uh, I was putting an arrow rest on a on a Raven bow, mm. and um just finishing uh, up with that uh, little shop organization today. But um yeah, hours are always on my mind now. <laughs> Very of cool. Of course, he's <laughs> one of the arrow
1: experts. <laughs>
0: Very cool. So I have a, I want to cover a couple, a couple questions. Last episode we talked about veins, aero vein, and I just have a, a couple questions that I want to hit on, and then we can cover anything else we want to after that. But my first question uh, comes from a listener actually, and his question is about helical. Um, what is a helical, and what does it do for aeroflight? What's the idea behind putting a helical on a vein?
1: Well, the, actually, you know, the that was a misconception. First of all, helical, offset, straight. All what you're doing is that you're trying to control the air. You're trying, trying to control the air using the air that flow around the vein and using the interaction of the vein to make the arrow do something. That's the difference between it. At the end of the day, the vein is to control the arrow. Now let me jump, jump into a little bit more about what the difference between why some people like helico offset or in the case of finite aero vein, airfoil. Of course, nobody can ever use airfoil because finite is the is the sole patent owner or of airfoil-based vein system. Okay, let's go back, uh, go to the original. Why did a lot of people like helico? Let me give you some idea of what the difference between a helical and offset is that the helical is a, a smooth transition of drag. And in the case of an offset, it's a hard transition of drag. All drag system, I mean, technically just like, does drag system enable to help you fly? I mean, in the case of any flight, the answer is yes. But drag system require a continuous apply or usage of power because a drag is based on action and reaction. That's what pretty much it is. And the case of say, imagine you got a Helico, and a lot of people love Helico, including myself, but just remember, Helico is ideal, but it cannot be physically applied. And people say, no, I've been using Helico for the last 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. Just think through the process with me when, very shortly. When you put a helical on an arrow, what do you use? People say, oh, I've been using the Burger for the last 30 years. I say, exactly. Let's think about when you put that helical clamp onto your arrow. What is that clamp usually based on and what is the shaft based on? Just remember, a burger jig with a helical clamp is designed based on a 2219 class arrow which means that your outside, outside diameter, at the same time when you put a helical on it, the clamp is going through a curve based on the 2219. And all of a sudden, what is today's common arrow? 166204 all the way to 246 with the OD that's less than 0.3 or three thousand OD. You expect to yourself to draw an arc of 300 OD, my, 350 OD, which is what the 2,219 is, onto a shaft that's 200 or lower. In the case of 166, the OD, the average OD is about 200. Mm. You expect to draw a perfect curve on it at any angle. Because remember, people say, oh, I'm going to put a half degree, one and a half degree, two or three. Have anybody actually looked at an arc going on a different size shaft? When the OD to make it work, what is your groove surface pressure? How many much of the entire thing are you actually touching the shaft with perpendicular pressure? The answer to all of the above is no. So when people say I would love a hot helicone, so does everybody. But can you actually do it? Is the real question. With the 229 with the with the one-six-six and 204 class arrow. The fact is that you will not be able to put more than 30%. Mm-hmm. That means the whole shaft. Like if you use a Bismurger or using, uh say uh, uh, a Master Pro, put some glue underneath it and now shine it. You're using a transparent vein. And then when you finish with it, look at the glue to the, the glue, the feet of the vein to the to the shaft. Look at what you actually did. You will find out that if you use a burger clamp, you either got a back, the front, or the middle, but not all three. Hmm. In the case of vein master, you are lucky to get front and back and level in the middle because there's no pressure. Now, the main one you do offset, same thing again. When you do offset, I'm what I'm talking about, they are all very, very good approach, but people need to understand what offset and helical will work with a vein to a shaft if you actually know. This is the easiest way for you to test. Go ahead and put your vein with zero glue and put it on top of the arrow shaft. Then find the thinnest paper, like a 20-pound paper. Go underneath the vein from the front, do a strip, the strip of about five millimeter, and make it about four inch long. And then put the paper from the front to the back, from the back to the front, and then from the middle out. You'll find out that you get maybe lucky Of the about on a, a two-inch vein. You may have contact, the actual contact. Not more than three quarter of an inch out of a two inch surface. Hmm. So, in other words, you are using a huge amount of glue as mortar to fill the gap. When you fill the gap, that reason people start dabbing glue front and back. Okay, all this is about application. The fact is that the helical theoretical you will be better than an offset, and then you get the control of the vein through drag. Now, now let's go make. I, I think I skipped this part. As case of offset. The reason offset seems to be better because object offset things are a little bit more controlled. But remember, the thinner the diameter, the worse the arc, the least you can put on the offset. People say, oh, I'll put a three and a half degree helico on it, and you can't put a three and a half degree offset on a 204 lower, it's because of the arc effect. Because you are drawing an arc over a curved surface. Okay, now what's the difference between helical offset and say, final air force base The fact is that the helical and also the offset are all based on drag. The moment you pass 270 feet per second, that is based on a common arrow with a 65% lead off with the 70 pound draw length based on a 30 inch arrow. That is about 246, because all the tests I have is based on 246. The arrow will start being erratic after 280 feet per second because the airspeed and the drag start taking in a major effect. At 315 feet per second, the effect is so much. The only thing you'll get out of that using its offset and helical is fluttering. That was a huge amount of sound. Mm -hmm. Because, see, the airfoil can't handle that kind of drag. The reason I say airfoil, because even a a, a, a plane piece, is an airfoil, which do not have the ability of airfoil, but it act as the interaction with air. That's the reason it's called an airfoil. Mm-hmm. Because if you have no interaction or air, it cannot be considered an airfoil. A plain piece of wood, or even a piece of paper, or a piece of vein is considered airfoil, but it's just a very inefficient one. Which in case of the drag helical and offset, the moment, as I say, past 315 and onwards, the especially with helical and offset, The moment you pass 315, no matter how much more helical or less helical or even closer to straight, your rotational speed will maintain about the same because the action and reaction will now make it not work. Now, of course, some people say, oh, I, I see my arrow turn 16 turns in high speed. But the actual is that in some crossbow projectile, because it's shorter on the overall length, it will recover faster. So the rotational speed go a little bit higher. As the arrow go longer, Uh, the the recovery rate is slower, which caused the rotational to drop. But the average, we know, is about 8 to 12 in the first 20 yards. Mm -hmm. But in the old days, if you drop to 280 feet or 70 feet per second, the helical offset will have effect. The heavier helical, the more you turn. But remember, they are only applied if you shoot an arrow that's about 300,000 OD or more. Because anything beyond that, the drag effect increases significantly. And not to mention the control of the vein, of the application of the vein to the shaft is the biggest problem because your consistency just goes down the drain. Okay. Remember, a Bissenberger jig or others are all based on a shaft that's 2,219.
2: Go ahead, Dave. George,
1: so we have a
2: lot of different veins out there that are helical-based, whether it's A or Veintech or Blazer. Is there some sort of like, uh, uh, wall and technology that once it hits a certain feet per second, um, that we're only going to get about see about just say 15 uh, rotations in 20 yards because there seems to be just a maximum limit to where, um, no matter what vein you have, the telical base, you're going to get maybe 12 to 15 rotations out of it and in 20
1: yards, and that just seems to be it. Yeah, that's exactly. Because when you do a drag-based system, when you hit the wall, especially at 315 feet per second, that's what I found out. Because at that moment, yes, you may be able to get the vein to fly, but you're not going to get the broadhead to fly. Mm. Because it, all the numbers I talk about is on a very efficient broadhead-based system than an arrow fly. Because see, unless you're doing target, then the numbers are move up 20 feet per second across the board. But in the case of a hunting situation with a bride in the front, Remember, the moment you put the vein into an arrow system, because people say, oh, this vein works so beautiful with me. I get such good rotation until you put the broadhead of choice. It means nothing. Unless you shoot target, you don't have a broadhead. But remember, the moment you put a broadhead on it, you got another fan, which is the reason I say fan, because a broadhead, when you've got blades on it, it's still applied by the fan law on number one and number three. There's no way around it. And now you have two masters with one slave.
0: Oh. Gotcha. So, so does
1: it does it help you to understand now? The moment, let me so sort of give you a little bit of background on airfoil. Airfoil is a phenomenon. It is. It's not. A, it's a. It's a phenomenon and a result. The came the moment we're looking at action reaction, which is where the drag system come in. That's the reason when speed goes up, airfoil will always, always, always give you more because it's a phenomenon. It is not a result. Okay. That is the reason that when you go a certain speed, you want to lower the, the drag factor of a strict airfoil is always maintained the same. But then in the case of aeroving, which is two phenomenon is really so most people didn't understand. aeroving 2 and Aeroving 3, both are actually helical veins. Ooh. But most people say, is- hey, wait a minute, I thought you straight. But people forgot one thing: when the Aeroving to an Aeroving 2 and Aeroving 3. The moment you pass 315 feet per second, because the airfoil and the aerodynamic elasticity memory effect of the shaft, of the vane. let me try to go back. The word aerodynamic elasticity memory means that even when the airfoil is being applied pressure, the airfoil itself would actually change shape to be optimal. In other words, this is called a memory flight, which is a lot more involved because the the only thing in this world that have that capability is insects and birds.
2: Mm-hmm. All
1: airplanes we use do not have that except F-117. Because there is a huge amount of computer power. You actually continue to adjust the airflow of that straight vein by pushing vein vent in it, which actually theoretically changes the direction of the air that move around it to maintain it. So there's nothing on earth that actually do aerodynamic elasticity memory besides animal flights and aeroving two and aeroving three. It's just not <laughs> happened there. I mean, I was very lucky that I got Professor Lele and Professor of Stanford University in Savannah sailing which helped me out because see, the moment you can apply aerodynamic elasticity memory, you are going to op- automatically using the memory effect of a plastic to yawn into the best leading edge and trailing edge of an airfoil passing through speed. That itself is so phenomenal. I cannot even believe I actually did it when <laughs> it comes out until we test it. Because see, people say, how great is helico. I say helico is wonderful, but you cannot precisely put a helico. I mean, at one point, we fire not thinking of making a helico clamp, but at the end of the day, nobody's gonna pay for a $700 clamp. No. You know why it'd be so difficult? Because the only way to make a helical clamp actually work on today's arrow, because the size is so varied. I have to use nickel titanium with about 32 floating magnets so that the entire wire will float on it so that you adhere to the arc that is not 100%. Theoretically, if you want to cover every single arrow, every single offset, you need to make an, an exact clamp for that arc with the offset you need, to make it work perfectly. That's not going to happen. No. And most people think I got this yellow coat. you work on anything and everything? It's like telling people, I got a twelve millimeter socket. You work on the entire car. No, it can't <laughs> happen. Not even a crescent wrench will work on the entire car.
0: <laughs> Dave, you had something?
2: Yeah. When on the uh, when the when the uh, vein changes shape, like you were saying. What benefits do we see coming from that? You said something about the leading edge, but what's what's the resulting factor? What's the what's the plus or minus to that?
1: Okay, let me, then we're going to air Force base. I mean, I, first of all, I'm not an aerodynamic expert. I'm learning from all the, well, the experts on this planet. But before that, just like Professor Lele said, go and read these 12 books. I, have, I very difficultly read them, but trust me, when I finished reading it, the only thing got a mush in my head. <laughs> I'm just not that kind of uh, expert, but I will tell you what I learned from it. First of all, you need to learn that when when uh, there's about five or six different ways for an uh, airport to make sound. Okay. Second, the aspect ratio, which is the shape from the front to the back, from the side to the thickness to the trailing, they all have a certain ratio based on a certain speed. So, in other words, every single airfoil is a compromise. Because just like when the airplane with it take off, the shape of the airplane wing is different when the airplane wing is flying. I mean, anybody who understand when you want to take off, you notice that it's like you sit next to an airplane wing, the airplane will fully put its down flap at the maximum. What you really want to do is that you want to increase the, the, the aspect ratio from the front to the back. Because the airplane wing and today's world, there's only a few plane able to change the leading edge, which is the front part of the vein who touches the air first to bring it open. The moment you use uh, say, helical and offset blade veins, remember that is a compromise. You're looking for the best ideal position for the longest flight path of the vein to be optimal. That's pretty much it, just like in a car. Do you know why a car have a gearbox? It's trying to find the, 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 the gear ratio to the speed that the car will work most efficiently. But remember your airfoil, your blazer and your offset vein and arrow vein, none of that can change shape. The moment you put it on, an offset helical or straight is the same.
2: Now, you mentioned the uh, this professor guy, uh, just so everybody, I mean, I've talked to you about him a number of times. Uh, just so everybody uh, gets an idea um, of him, can you just give us a little bit of background on,
1: um, Professor Salich? Sure, I'm, I'm sure I, I want to give credit to both professors. The f- Professor Lele out of Stanford University, his first one introduced me the aspect ratio, which is the out-wing configuration and also the, the uh, what the silent flight means. That's the reason we, if I not, maintain all our veins using that same aspect ratio or the leading edge of the vein. And Professor Lele, right, so Salich out of central Illinois, I mean, he just retired. Um, I we have already retain him as our advisor for life because he has pretty much helped us with every single major design. Professor Saylec designed over 120,000 airfoils in his lifetime. Well, we're not talking two or three. Because like, how can it be that many airfoils? Well, you need to think about it. On the high-rise building, the edge of the window, so you open, you can't close. Guess what? You know, to make it work, there's some aerodynamics in it.
2: I have seen him like because I I've researched him a little bit, and he's in everything from wind turbine to Formula One race car designing like spoilers.
1: Correct, like, because he's
2: he's that, he's got more he's got more uh, degrees than I got socks.
1: I mean, <laughs> on, uh, no, no, it's not more degree. He only but like aerodynamics. Uh, yes, what, he's got we, a lot what,
2: of stuff. That's a list. Like you read about that guy just in just in <laughs> what he's involved in.
1: There's like you can you can spend a few minutes on, right just remember he is an expert in aerodynamics in the subsonic which is what we are we are most aero i don't believe we can ever make an aero that's over over mach 1 that's not possible
2: because what we we're, we're doing
1: here is is
2: low speed airfoil correct All right. He, he's, he's designed things or, or in in coordination with you so that we can help the arrow uh stay
1: off the ground in lower speeds which is lift
2: no, Essentially. In a that.
1: sense. That's, not, that, that's a misuse of words. Let me start, put it this way. We are trying to make the arrow going through a media of air more efficiently. Gotcha. I mean, I remember vividly one, one question that he had, and I'm going to re- repeat this question. Maybe I've done that before. How far can you throw an eight and a half by 11, 20 pound paper? That actually is a trick question because you can just throw this paper out in the the no air everywhere, just throw it out. Maybe it will glide out and eventually land on the about 12 feet from you, 12, 15 feet if you're lucky. Or you can just crush that into a tightest ball you can and you throw it out. You may reach about 30, 35 feet. But I remember Professor Sally say his buddy and MIT fall a paper airplane with the same effort. It go over three and a half football field. What's the difference? The mass have not changed. The effort have not changed. What changed is the efficiency yeah. of that mass going through air. That's oh. great. That's a great explanation. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's pretty incredible.
1: Exactly, because people don't understand, just put it this way, if you put just like the BMW V10 engine go into, quote unquote, a sports car and go into uh, say a seaplane, It's the same engine. It's the same identical engine with the same identical power. The car will never fly. Why? It doesn't have the shape to do the job. At the same time, if the car is not designed correctly, the car will not apply this power because the moment you pass about 75, 80 miles per hour, the car will not touch the ground no more. It will keep on losing power because the wheel will spin. What's the problem? Shape because people forgot the moment you hit about 80, 90 miles per hour in the case of a big block, like a car, a truck, an airplane, the the airfoil is doing all the work because until you put pressure and friction on the ground, just like I will go back to what I mentioned last time at a Formula One at 170 miles per hour, the engine spent over 80, 72 to 85% of power on drag. Oh. Only only as tiny, about 15, 20% horsepower is going forward. But without drag, you can't put the power on the ground with friction, the car won't move.
2: Go ahead, Dave. Now
1: now we we got these veins. Mm -hmm. They're
2: a a higher rotational uh, speed than the average Joe in the market. Uh, And this is gonna lead into how these veins, I think, work in coordination. With the concept system and the benefit that we get from this can you explain uh to the listeners a little bit about gyroscopic procession? because i think this is where we're heading into
1: Uh, absolutely this is where i think a lot of people really i want to go back to a few of the original uh experimental results that we did for the last few times which a lot of people do not like to hear first of all when you find an arrow, you want the arrow to go into a type elliptical spin as fast as possible. The higher the let-off, the more, the worse the, air shaft, the arrow shaft itself is going to behave for towards that phenomenon, towards that resulting shape that you need. The, high, the, the higher the speed, the more aerodynamic have dominant effect over the entire process. Now just keep that three in mind to start with. The power, the shape, and the recovery, all right? The higher the FOC, the longer the arrow, if the spine of the arrow is correct, the higher the front of center, the work is for the arrow to reach recovery because the arrow has spent more time and effort to bring the arrow shaft down into a tight elliptical spin. Until the arrow reached that point, whatever vein you got on it is technically useless. It is nothing but a very half open parachute. That's the best way to describe that. Because see, think about it. When you shoot an arrow, the arrow is going in front of you. Like all the video you saw in every single lighter commercial, the arrow on the light behind it will go six or eight inch left and right up and down. What does that tell you? Your front of the shaft is maintaining, the position is going forward the tail of the vein is moving up to six to eight to 10 inches, left, right, up, down. Mm-hmm. What happened, where is yep. the vein now? Whatever you saw, at half an inch to an inch to all of that. That's how big a par- the virtual parachute you're making.
2: So we're gonna do is we're that. gonna stay. <laughs> so we're, we're gonna stabilize the shaft with the concept system. Correct. And then the veins, are really do what's gonna really gonna benefit, really gonna enhance
1: this. Um, so
2: that we because get all it, these
1: benefits. Because the most important thing is, I want everybody to understand one thing: when a vein go through air, this is where everybody is not is mistaken. I want anybody who don't believe me, and I don't want you to, because you're gonna find out. Go ahead and shoot your arrow. Find somebody, shoot the arrow past you. Don't like go behind a barn or your garage and let the arrow pass through you and then see it hit the target. Because see, you as a shooter will never hear that. Just like today's new modern arrow, the deer no longer jump the string. The deer is jumping the vein, and deer is jumping the broadhead. Until you actually hear the arrow flying past you and hit the target, you'll be amazed how loud it is. Because see, the moment, yes, if you drop your speed down to 270 feet per second, you're going to minimize it. But at the same time, if you use a high FOC arrow, the shaft, as I said, is going to flex that right up and down. That means you're creating a huge, gigantic parachute that's broken. And guess what? Every single vein in that category, helical offset and arrow vein, all of them will went through one process. It is not designed to do in that environment, which means that it's gonna create a huge amount of sound. And then just remember, sound is the easiest, least amount of energy to make, but you're still using energy, which means the louder the sound, the slower the arrow The arrow will, will move forward as it spend the energy. That's also explained to you why you find out that the high FOC, a minimum thin diamond shot with huge amount of memory with a vein on it you need three four veins to even get it back into shape and then you thought you are getting finally air flight but what happened is that you are putting a parachute behind your arrow yes anytime you put a parachute you're going to control just like you look at every single stock car for a funny car at the end of the track what they do they open more than one parachute <laughs> because they finally uh-huh. able to stop just like now you are putting parachute to start with until the arrow go into a tight ellicottal spin. Now your vein is doing its work. Until we reach that point, your vein is actually doing nothing more than slowing your arrow down and eating up the energy. And in the case, the vein is doing more than the frontal point can handle. The only way you're out of it is either you reduce the vein, increase the spine weight, or you increase the weight. There's no other way around it. Which means that the helical offset, is doesn't matter because at that moment, until you design a perfect clamp, the helical offset don't give you anything. That's the reason I finally go into an arrow vein, which is a, a straight vein when you install it because no matter what size of an arrow, the tangent is the tangent is the tangent. That's the reason I go that route. But we with, with Professor Siddick's help, understanding aerodynamic elasticity memory, teaching the vein how to flex and curve, I get i get I get it the automatic airfoil based on the optimum position of them, of the wind speed is given as a matter of fact if you if you do a high speed video just on one vein and see how the wind going through it the entire thing will curve itself because of the yawn and because of leading edge because of the lift and also the down pressure because when the air goes through the part, we even minimize the 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 uh, what do you call it, the, uh, uh, the the vacuum bubble, which is on the backside of the uh, uh, of the airfoil, which is why reason we do multi, multi boundary layer separation. We're gonna control that. I mean, I think I may have go too deep because even when I first heard it, this is all like freaking foreign language to me. But the moment I understand what this is, how can I not do it? It just gives you an extra 10, 20, 30% of lift I mean, just like, you know, why do you think every single airplane in the market got a winglet on it? Think about it. 20 years ago, there's not a single plane a winglet on it because it gives you 5 to 10% saving. If you're a company like, say, United, spend about, say, I remember somebody told me it's about $12 billion a year on gas. Mm. If you save 10%, that's 1.2 billion, isn't it? Yeah, big deal. (laughs) <laughs> it's a very yep. big deal. I mean, I, I mean that one of the things that I saw. Remember, and I'll share with you so that you can see the same thing. The gas price is going up. What's the all the trucker do? Remember when the truckers all say, "Well, I don't need these automatic aerodynamic panels on it." I remember when I was in Transportation Magazine, that can is a is a return of investment in less than two years if gas price is over 10% of the current pricing. That's back in, nine, in 2007. No, sorry, 2000 and, yeah, 2007. That's the time when gas prices go crazy, 2004 to 2007. That's where everybody go into those plates and the back of the truck and under the truck and the back of the trucker. Guess what you're dealing with? You're dealing with the drag factors of the wind on the backside, not on the front, on the back. Well, mm-hmm. guess where the arrow, where the arrow drag the biggest is? It's behind the vein. That's a freaking air for you got there. So you notice you when go, a
2: truck goes by. Mm-hmm. You, you shake if you're in the car. The truck will go by oh, yeah. and
1: then you'll then you'll feel it. Yep. Correct. Yeah. That's another thing people forgot. Well, you know, what's the problem? The problem is that the leading edge, which is the front of the truck, just like the front of the vein, will open up the air, not let the vein pass by. If the thing or the truck is not designed well, the biggest problem is the trailing edge, the turbulence after the truck passed. Because see, this is where a lot of people don't understand when you shoot an arrow. I say my arrow say one six six to a two say, say uh, twenty seven sixty four, which is uh, twenty, <clears throat> which is close to three hundred eighty thousand, compared to uh, compared to two hundred thousand. But people told me he shoot a smaller shaft to. Reduce the crosswind to make it go through wind less. I laughed at it because it's absolutely hopeless and pointless. Do you know that in a in a, in a bear shaft environment, the one six six all the way to the twenty seven sixty four is less than five percent difference.
2: And the not, not only difference that, but is, you got you, you have the, uh, the 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 tail whip like you're saying of a correct. of the, the vein with the heavy wall of a 166, and it's almost enhancing the uh, oscillation factor instead of
1: minimizing. Well, actually, In it's a not sense. Just enhancing. It's like quadruple it. Just think right, about right. it. If you sh- this is the easiest test you can do. Find yourself a, a large diameter arrow and a small diameter arrow. Make sure they're the same weight. Because see, you notice that. On the case of a 300, side, 300 ID shaft with a 166 ID shaft, the weight of them, you can find arrow with the same identical weight. And shoot them. You'll find out the three hundred size shaft will always shoot flatter over the one six six. The moment you got wind, you'll be scared because the one six six at forty yards, you won't even make the target. While just the to be clear, absolutely. Just
2: win. to just to be clear, it's not that we hate one six six arrows because Dorge manufactures a one six six arrow.
1: <laughs> exactly. But there's
2: but there's there's better applications to one six six to get it to where it needs to go more
1: efficiently. Correct. 166 require a lot more work. Is 166 good? Answer is that the word good is that did 166 have his place? Answer is absolutely. Because it depends on what you do and what you want to do and what condition you want to do. If you shoot a 70-pound bowl with a 30-inch straw, the 166 require three times to four times as much effort to work over a 24 a two, two two six two forty-six or three hundred. Because and and now that. we got the concept system for this one six six. Of course I do, and and just just as
2: a um, question, beans we got that uh, female reverse concept on the one six six. Is there anything like that you got in mind
1: for two of four shaft? Nope, actually that would not work because see we're dealing with again a, a we're doing ratios and also size, and most people don't understand size is actually such a big deal. But in the case of arrow shaft diameter size is your enemy. The smaller the diameter, the thicker the wall, the faster, the worse the react, the more the memory, the worse recovery rate, which means that the size of your arrow, just like I mentioned in the case of a slow, uh, even with a normal picture of shooting a lighter knot, imagine if your arrow was flexing six to eight inch from each other, just like the lighter knot you see from the back of a guy, where is the vein? Right. That means that that vein is flip-flopping Six to eight inches left and right, or sometimes even up to 12. So that is what you see on the neck. Where is the vein? The and vein what does that mean for half? And,
2: and what does that mean for the 001 guys?
1: <laughs> exactly. And right. when you do 001, 003, 008, you're freaking, the power end is flapping six, eight inches. <laughs> what I, are yeah, you talking here? <laughs> all right.
0: When you said- mean, not, mm-hmm When you say memory, when you're talking about 166, it's a little bit off topic, but I think this is something that needs to be explained. When you say uh, arrows with thicker walls have more memory, what do you mean by memory?
1: Okay, very simple. The thicker the wall, the more it takes to bend it. And then the more you do, remember, action always comes with reaction. The action and reaction effect is what I'm talking about. When you're thicker the wall, the more action you have, the more reaction you got. So the action reaction will go back and forward, back and forward. That is called a memory effect. Okay. The moment you go to a thinner shaft, remember when you got a thick law like the 166204, or even in the case of a, a 246, like the carbon express pile driver, the freaking wall is thick. The moment you got thick wall, what does that mean? It takes energy to bend it. And you also lost the belief principle on two dynamics effect. Because see, when a wall is thick, the wall will not turn over when it flexes. The moment it's not flexes in turning shape, that means you are not using the elasticity effect of a tube, you are forcing a, a solid tube to bend as is. Which means every single bend is a pure consumption of energy. While in the case of an elliptical effect on a thin wall, like larger tube, every single bend because the ovalizations of the tube is um, is an energy storage and release device. Hmm. And not to mention by using energy store and release, the recovery rate is significantly higher. We're talking a 10 to 20% difference in energy consumption.
0: When you're talking about numbers that are not that big to begin with, 10 to 20% can be pretty detrimental. It's
1: also the reason that when... Then recently, remember that we go back to the highlight off high FOC again. When you go highlight off, that means your power duration. That means how much power you apply to the shaft and the time you apply to the shaft. That increased significantly, which means the arrow will be that that the uh, the shaft is going to bend more and longer. And now you added the memory effect to the shaft. Think about it. You, you're just thinking a whole different, different, different. It was <Right>? just funny. <laughs> because yes. it, it's like, if you understand it, why would you be doing this? It's like, okay, we know that if your car don't drive fast, you're able to control it very better. So you put a bigger engine on it, but since you are now driving fast, <laughs> you now put apply brakes. So that you have a bigger engine, gas more, but you apply brakes so you can control it. Wouldn't you better off using a smaller engine and not put on brakes? <laughs> yeah. Because now you have gas using, you got brake wear, you got tire wear, everything just come together, and that's exactly what happened in the case of a thin arrow with the uh, with the highlight off. Now, see, remember the moment the arrow flexes, re- re- radically, like the initial launch, mm-hmm. until the arrow goes into a type elliptical spin, the veins have no effect on and helping the arrow flight. Which means that until the arrow go into a tight elliptical spin, then the vein will kick in. But then during, before that whole process, every single vein that is not in his best stage is a pure, erratical, and undesirable drag. So
2: it's pretty chaotic chaotic in the first
1: stages of of arrow flight.
2: Because and every
1: single thing you wanted until you reach to that you type your level spin is not helping you. And Twitch also explains some people say, oh my God, my feather works so much better. Obviously, because at that moment, the feather collapsed. The feather won't come back until you hit about 260 feet per second. Then the arrow is doing effect. At that moment, the arrow is, you already go back to its normal stage. The veins can do the job because until like in the case of natural vein, it collapsed all the way through. Anything beyond that, there's just a chunk of stuff. It's no effort
2: now we did uh high some high speed video testing and i broke this down i think it either well it could have been both either at like 4200 frames a second or 6000 frames a second which is to anybody who looks at an iphone that is ridiculously slow compared to that so when we did the high speed video um we were able to see vein rotation the arrow rotation starting on an air vein three, somewhere around a foot stirrup of a squirt bit, which we're talking four to six inches. All right. Um, that's two things that's fast. going on.
1: There's two things going on. First of all, you're dealing with a crossbow arrow, which the spine is much higher. Okay. So the arrow is going to type the level of spin, say within within the with inside the launch cycle. If you look at a normal bow, a, a, a reasonable 70-pound, 30-inch straw bow with a 20-inch 20, say 29 arrow, the arrow won't even begin to spin until it's five feet in front of the bow. Yes, you hear me right. Right. The moment you put a 166 on it, that drag factor is going to wait until about five to ten feet before you see the first vein turning. Because at that moment, imagine your vein is moving six, ten inches back and forth, up and down. The easiest way to do is get yourself a lighting act, stand behind your arrow, take a picture, because see, this picture will show all of the above. We'll take one long shot, make your f-stop lower, and then make your exposed time longer. You'll see exactly what I mean. There's no denying it, because the light won't be six inch away from the center if the arrow shaft is not there. If the arrow shop is there, that means the thing is above that. <laughs> Left, right, that's, that's
2: one of the good things about the light at Knox is, you know, some guys won't use them for hunting, and I get that. It's not for everybody. But as far as the practice area and to, to get an idea of what your arrow is doing, the light it Knox can be a big benefit um, Absolutely. to
1: Absolutely. I, I see a lot of people say, tell me, oh, I'm going to boat paper tune it. I tell them paper tune only should to bring you a split second of the arrow path. If you put a lighter knot and shoot the lighter knot and see how the arrow behaves, you know exactly whether your spine is right. If the lighter knot just go up and down, you know you've got a camline. If the lighter knot go left and right, you know you've got to, unless you shoot a hoid, which have a huge amount of horizontal travel, or then you know that you're talking the bow from left to right. That pretty much tells you everything you need to know because at the end of the day, the arrow has to pass through the bow, which is the string through your arrow rest, and then you finally leave the arrow rest from that point onwards. That's the only time you have to control over your bow. After that, it's the shaft, the broadhead, and the vein that control the fight path of the arrow.
0: Before uh, we have, we only got about ten or so, fifteen minutes or so left here before we start losing everyone. And I have two more questions that I want to get to, um, and they sure. can be they can be answered pretty quickly. Uh, back on veins, so back to veins here. Um, mm-hmm. four fletch is pretty popular right now. A lot of people doing four fletch arrows. What What are your feelings? What does a four fletch do, or what are your feelings on four fletch, six fletch, etc.?
1: Well, anything. The more fletch you do, the more drag you get. What you're doing is for your control, just like like some some uh, uh, funny cars. Some of them one parachute, some of them and two, some of them and three. Why do you need more fletch? Because you want more control, which means the shaft itself is not able to control it. So, you put more parachute on it. So, you increase the drag to the point that the arrow will get to go to straightness earlier. Again, four fudge is not needed if if the spine and the arrow is correct and the recovery rate is high. It's only needed you did. Now, on top of that, four fudge is the absolute worst when you're dealing with side to side wind. Because, see, on a three fudge, as you turn the arrow at any time, the drag factor towards the arrow is identical. With the four fudge, every 90 degree you got a frontal impact think through it the moment you turn 90 degree up and down you got two veins that are taking hundred percent of the of the air that go left to right while you turn it 45 degree at that moment it's the least amount of air so the air the the, the arrow is pushing left or if the wind is going left to right it's pushing left to right every time when the arrow turn 90 degrees
2: so aside from aside from uh, crosswind signature with the four fletch vein being a total negative at that point. Um in the other aspect that we were saying originally, the four-fletch vein just ends up being a pacifier for, for to help dampen a their problem,
1: the problem. in the arrow. The right, problem. you just add more drag to it. You add enough drag, you'll do anything, just like people say I shoot so much better than four fletch. That means that my personal opinion is that you just didn't have the right spine of the arrow with the right diameter with the right recovery. Then you had to add drag. Because think about it, every single thing you add, you add a third more drag to it. Mm-hmm. So what is drag? Drag is force going to eat up by the vein, yep. which means that you're slowing your aerodyne from doing where you want to go. But even you no control, you have to do it. Just like, why do you apply your bricks when you turn a corner? would not you be nicer to go on the corner as fast as you could? Yeah, but you may never <laughs> make it. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that's a pretty easy explanation there. Uh, last question mm-hmm. here another kind of trending topic in aero building is veins and I know you're pretty passionate about uh, not using veins. Can you explain not dos- oh yeah wraps I mean wraps yeah I'm using the word wrong word wraps.
1: Yes because I remember that when you sent me the, the 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 you're talking the vein because we're using vein no matter what the wrap yep. is not helping in any shape or form. Let me give you an idea why. Can anybody guarantee the thickness of that wrap? Nope. In other words, if you cannot guarantee the thickness of that wrap, you are not guaranteeing the tip of the veins. because remember all force of the vein is looking at the tip. Just like a windmill. the tip of the windmill is where all that matters. Second, the moment you put a wrap on it you are destroying you're destroying the most the best adhesive surface you have. That means you are gluing onto the wrap that's gluing onto the shaft. How do you guarantee that to be perfect? So if your vein is sitting next to the the overlapping of the wrap, how can the vein be straight? At the same time, just say, how do you guarantee the wrap to be the same thickness? If not, or overlap. if you go over exactly. that, a every bit of time overlap. when Every time you put a vein on a wrap, you are technically destroying the, the perfect OD of that shaft, which is went through a very precision grinding process to make sure it is round. And you got that so that's going put- to be like an oblong tire. Exactly. Yeah.
2: But
1: yeah. Say, oh, I do think wraps are wrap good you. on
2: cheesesteaks, though. That's where I. Oh, that's what I recommend. <laughs> I tell the, people, "Do you do wraps?" Well, I don't. I, I don't own a deli. Um, <laughs> I I like cheesesteaks, though. I mean, that's. <laughs> I I've, I've turned down, I've turned down. Well, shoot! I turned down. Several rap jobs a year. People ask me to do wraps, and I just won't. I just won't do it. I, you go pick up the kit yourself at Cabela's and go, go right aisle number seven in Cabell's, you can get a wrap. Um, I just, I won't do them for, for the, my my first priority is a safety issue because, you know, I, I've refletched arrows, taken wraps off and found, you know, found out that these arrows are cracked underneath. Nobody wants to shoot a cracked arrow.
0: No.
2: Um, so that was a concern for me right off the get go just for safety. And when I started seeing that, I was just like, I'm not, you know, I'm not doing wraps. They they don't, they're, they're, it's it's a cosmetic perk and that's about as far as it gets with them. I mean, hats off to, the, to everybody else who likes to do them, but I just, I don't, I, I don't even like putting logos on my shaft, let alone a, a wrap. I, my shafts pretty much, unless I hand logo them with a marker, they're pretty much bare. I don't do anything with them.
1: Well, let me talk, let talk about that. And I, I, I I'll add a, add a, I'll add a tip for everybody. Do you know what aero shaft finish is the absolute worst you can do if you hunt? Camo logo. Camo wrapped mm. shaft is the worst shaft that you can possibly buy if you hunt. I can't see it. Do you, do you, no, 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 well, no. It picks, it picks
2: up moisture. It picks up moisture That's like exactly. if it's raining. Do you know how it's camel logo
1: there. go onto the shaft? It's a paper water transfer. Basically, what happens if you drop? Yeah, hydrographics, exactly. What yep. happens when you put water on it is stick to it.
0: Hmm.
1: As a matter of fact, I remember one time, Tim Gillingham out go to told me, you can pick up about 50 to 90 grain on a 30 inch shaft, 246 on a, ca- a camo shaft, compared to a 20 to 30 grain of water on a plain shaft. Wow. Now I'll give you the final tip which is the tip i'm going to give you if you really enjoy hunting and you want the absolute best result of your arrow don't get a don't get a camel based shaft get the plain shaft and then using acetone to take all the logo off and then use turtle wax ice paste to buff your shaft that shaft the moment you shoot it every water will shed off it and yes after you're using the turtle wax ice paste on the shaft, leave it outside for three weeks. That's how long it takes to get away from the smell. Oh, boy. But then you'll find out that your shaft will penetrate better. How come? Because the blood can't stick to it. You go mm. forward faster. Second, when the moment you shoot under rain or snow, you shut the water or the, or the snow faster than anything else, just like your car. Just like imagine you buff, you wax your car before the snow season. When the first snow, you just push the snow off. If you do not do that, the snow and ice will stick to the car, just like the snow and ice will stick to any camel, a camel-based arrow shot. Huh.
2: That's now another wonder thing how you come mentioned you mentioned. Was um, that's another thing you mentioned? It's a good, probably a topic for another cover, uh, other podcast. But um, you know, shooting through rain and snow, you're shooting through solid objects.
1: <laughs> exactly. Now you knew right. to think about how bad that is because people don't think rain and snow so a, <laughs> have nothing to do with it. Just like if you put your hand underneath the faucet and there's water going through it. If you can't feel the pressure, I think you need to rethink what you know. <laughs> right, right.
0: Well, guys, I think we'll leave that for another day. Um, real quickly, uh, people are always anxious to hear what's next. Everyone, I'm getting some really good feedback from the listeners. I like what you guys are offering, what we're offering. What's uh, what's next to come for the next podcast?
1: I think Broadhead will be a fun fun subject. Because yeah, at the end mm-hmm. of the day, most people I know who the reason to pick up actually is to kill something. Yep. So let's talk about the killing portion. And and of course, since we already talked about the insert, the shaft, the veins, we now talk about how a broadhead actually will make everything invalid or make everything better. It's that big a deal. Because they say at the end of the day, when you shoot an arrow, until you got a broadhead in front of it, you kill something else, it's not going to do much.
2: Sure. It's a trauma hawk with a turkey. was. Uh... I'll have to send you that video. That was it, it. It died within ten seconds. It kind of circled around in the spot, and that was it. And everybody's saying, "Oh, get these big two or three inch turkey lopped their heads." I'm like, "I'm gonna try this. I'm gonna try this trauma hawk thing and give it a body shot." And uh, we I somehow ripped the, uh, my friend who was a taxidermist at the time. uh stripped the thing. And He's like, "Where's the femur?" Been? I'm like, I, "I don't know. I guess it's somewhere out in the field." Put <laughs> the femur out. Um, arrow skipped. Hit a tree. We dug the darn uh, arrow out of the tree. Still a usable arrow. Touch it up on the stem a little bit, but uh, great. Some cool That's things. Nice cool, cool things that. in Brawl's Head world.
0: Sure. Well, I can't wait to hear more about that. And until next time, we'll, we'll talk to you.